At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal season four. Hi everyone and welcome back to the dark paranormal. Firstly, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who reached out regarding last week's episode, 50 Berkeley Square, and well done to everybody who spotted the error. Yes, I referred to Captain Kentfield as Captain Kenwright when he got off the train. I need to hold my hand up and say that was just a complete error on my behalf. I have a friend with the same surname, and clearly the two were just a bit too similar for that particular story. So well done to everyone who spotted that, and sincerely thank you for letting me know. I hope it didn't spoil the narrative too much. So, here we are already, the halfway point of Season 5. And today, I'm going to be sharing a tale about arguably what sounds like the most powerful and malevolent deity that's ever featured in one of the dark paranormal stories. I first became aware of this paranormal experience around five years ago, and it's stuck with me ever since. And I hope it sticks with you. But before we get on to that, as ever, I need to say a huge thank you to our Patreons. We're building a great little community over on Patreon. And of course, when you sign up to Patreon, not only do you support this show and ensure that it continues, you also get these episodes earlier than anyone else. And if that wasn't enough, you also receive an extra Patreon-only show, Dark Bites, each and every week, even in between seasons. So, if you wish to join the Dark Paranormal community on Patreon, head over to patreon.com forward slash the Dark Paranormal. So, a big heartfelt thank you to our newest members. Angie Mahoney, Kat Praetula, Neil Keating, Jill, Michael Otten, Hannah Ord, Kelly Hobbs, Stein, hmm hmm, Matt Bennett, Roylene Gardner, Janice, Charlie Murphy, and Crystal Kelly. Thank you guys, your support means so much. So that's patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Now, today's true paranormal experience is one that genuinely disturbs me 
I think down to the absolute loss of normality that happens exceptionally quickly within the tale. Of course, normally I ask you to suspend your disbelief before embarking on listening to the dark paranormal. Now, not only does that again apply to this episode, but arguably it applies more to this episode than any other episode we've done or will do. I think it's time we just get right to it. So, make yourself comfy, lower the lights, suspend your disbelief, and join me at Hellfire Farm. We begin a long, long time ago. Before planes, before cars, before electricity. Before the towns were made or even the streets were laid. Before Christianity itself. The Brecon Beacons, Wales. The black mountains climbing into the dark rain clouds above. A vicious wind sweeping around the nine hooded men who stand in a circle. In the centre, a goat lays shaking on its side, bleeding out from a fresh wound to its neck. The nine hooded figures raise their hands to the sky in unison. They complete the final chant of the incantation. They fall silent. The only sound, the wind whipping across the grassy tufts at their feet. The goat bleeds its last and stops moving. It is done. It is here. On that spot, 1600 years later, a group, each hidden under a cloak, meet in the barn that now occupies the space. Once a month when the moon was waning, they would gather here. They would find an animal from a local farm that would likely not be missed, and they would slit its throat on a wooden makeshift altar. They would then kneel with their arms to the sky and finish their incantation. They would keep their heads bowed and their eyes closed until the deity arrived and answered their questions. It was during this council that the group learned that in just days they would be taken one by one to a body of water known today as Pwil Irak and drowned for their practices. Pwil Irak, as any local will tell you, translates to the witch's pool. It's now 1989, and on that spot now stands an idyllic stone farmhouse, resplendent against the backdrop of the ominous Brecon Mountains. For Bill and Liz Rich, this was their remote safe haven that they had been searching for. Their family unit was looking for a firm footing and a new start. Bill's son from his first marriage, Damien, had yet to take to this new family setup, and had yet to take to his new and currently pregnant stepmother, Liz. Bill and Liz both agreed that Heolfenog Farm would be the place for new beginnings and new relationships to form. And they would, just not in the way they imagined. One of the key selling points for Bill was the barn, an up-and-coming artist 
Bill had struggled to find studio space in the city. This barn would make the ideal studio, and the surrounding palette of peace and nature would surely only enhance his creative endeavours. Liz was excited at the prospect of caring for the handful of farm animals that came with the property. A handful of sheep and a couple of pigs, they would keep her busy, but not too busy so she could begin preparing for her impending newborn. I can't believe this space, said Bill, as he stepped into the barn, extending his arms and spinning round with a smile on his face. Unreal, he said, coming to a stop to face his family. What do you reckon, Damo? Damien was stood at the barn door, staring up at the back bedroom window. Damo, repeated Bill. Damien turned around and pointed to the bedroom. Is that going to be my bedroom? he asked. Bill drew a quick map for himself in the air with his finger. Uh, yes, yes, mate, it is. Is that okay? Damien shrugged. Doesn't matter what I think, he mumbled, staring intently at the bedroom window. He wasn't sure, but he could have sworn the left-hand side curtain moved as if someone had been holding it back to look through, and then released it. Liz smiled as she looked around. She took a deep breath, and the breath felt clean. Not just due to the country air, but more from a clearing of the anxieties which had plagued them in the last few months. She smiled and pointed through the window. Ah, oh, look at him, she said as a sheep jumped across the field. Ah, oh, it's coming this way. Is there anything we can feed it with? The sheep had moved from a jump into a gallop towards the family. Christ, he's keen, said Bill. Is it all right? said Liz, the smile dropping from her face. The sheep was now just a few metres from the fence. Look at its eyes. I think it's scared of something, said Liz. It's not slowing. The noise was sickening. Bill ran outside and turned the corner to the side of the barn to find the sheep with its head bent in an unnatural way. The impact of hitting the wall at full speed clearly having caused the damage. But still alive, the poor thing, said Liz. Will you? I'll do it, said Damien. No, replied Bill. Go back inside with your mu with Liz. Damien marched back into the house in a strop, with Liz giving him some space and then following behind. Bill looked around and found a suitably sized rock and, arm shaking, raised his right hand. Sorry about this, mate. However, before his hand could come down, and much to his relief, the sheep stopped moving and its eyes glazed over. Bill gave a sigh of relief, placed his hands on his knees and took a deep breath to compose himself. The short respite was broken with a scream from indoors. Bill! came Liz's voice. Bill! The baby's coming! The new life now residing at the farm was the epitome of a new beginning. 
baby Rebecca, as newborns do, occupied the time, the minds and the hearts of everyone in the home. For the next 24 months, strange occurrences were treated as just one of those things, such as that season's lambs being born with deformities and needing to be put down by the vet, or the pig that was recently found having apparently gone mad and smashing its skull repeatedly on the side of some heavy machinery. Just one of those things. Piece by piece, the life that Liz and Bill had pictured had, in their blinkered view, begun to take shape. But in reality, the pieces were already starting to break. 750 quid! That's ridiculous! shouted Bill angrily down the phone to the electricity company's rep. There's no way on earth we've used that much electricity. We're a family of four, not Buckingham Palace, he said, holding the phone in one hand and shaking that quarter's electricity bill in the other. Well, you need to send someone out here to have a look, because there's no way I'm paying that. Let me check. Liz, are we in on Friday at half nine? Liz was busy feeding Rebecca her lunch, but nodded back to Bill. Yeah, go on then. Friday at half nine it is. Bill slammed down the phone. That's not right, he said, walking back into the kitchen. 750 pounds. The car's not worth that, he joked. Calm down, love, Liz replied. It's clearly a mistake. You're damn right it is. I know. Bill stood up and rolled up his sleeves. I'm going to turn everything in the house off and then check the meter. If we then put things back on one at a time, I should be able to see what's using the most electricity, he said, flicking the switches in the kitchen, before heading around the house to do the same. He walked out into the barn where the meter was kept and found it was still spinning round quickly. Something was using the electricity despite every appliance in the home being turned off. What the hell? Bill muttered to himself. That Friday at 9.30, the engineer from Swalak Energy arrived. Mr Rich, you've got a query over your bill, I believe, he said as he closed the van door. I do. Come with me, I want you to see something, said Bill. So, as they walked, Bill explained that he turned everything off yet the meter was still spinning. Well, that's impossible, Mr. Rich. It spins when energy is being consumed. If nothing's being used, then no movement. It's cause and effect. You've probably missed something in the house. And so, the two men do a thorough sweep of the farmhouse. The engineer picked up on one or two plug sockets that hadn't been turned off, and gave Bill an I-told-you-so smile as he unplugged them. Bill led the way to the meter in the barn and, reaching it first, triumphantly pointed at the wheel, which was still spinning as fast as previous. The engineer clipped some test apparatus to the meter, took a reading and then stood and folded his arms. I'm at a loss here, he said, staring at the meter. The wheel spins because a current's being drawn across it but there's 100% no power being used in that house. Something must be dragging the power through, he said, rubbing his chin. Well, 
Could it be from another farm, perhaps? Maybe siphoning off our supply? Asked Bill. No, that's impossible. You see, it's being drawn in. So something in there is requesting the power from here. He said, pointing at the house and then at the meter. So it's broken then? You have to admit that, said Bill, assuming he was on the winning foot. Well, I'm afraid not. The test equipment shows no faults. Something in the house is using the... A series of small bright white lights bounced around the barn. As they did, the meter ran at double speed. The men, eyes wide with panic, backed into each other as they glanced around at the light show. All in all, it lasted about ten seconds before stopping as abruptly as it began. What in God's name was that? demanded Bill, as if this was in some way the doing of the engineer. The engineer was in shock. I've never seen... He glanced down at the meter, noting the huge amount of electricity that had just been used in ten short seconds. I... I've no idea. The engineer agreed to raise it with head office and left the premises in a hurry. Bill entered the living room to where Liz had a book out and had Rebecca on her knee. Now that was the weirdest thing that I've... Shh, said Liz. What? Bill whispered back. Listen, said Liz. It sounded as if someone wearing hobnail boots was walking across the floorboards upstairs. Who's that? whispered Bill. No one's up there, Liz replied with a panicked look. It's been happening every few minutes whilst you've been out there. Bill crept slowly upstairs. He went from room to room, but they were all empty. Whatever had caused the footsteps was no longer here. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That evening as they lay in bed, Liz asked, Hey, before we even heard those footsteps... You were already saying something weird had happened. What was it? In the adrenaline rush of hearing the footsteps, Bill had forgotten about the strange light show in the barn. And so, he told Liz about how the air had felt filled with electricity, how the lights seemed to bounce off the walls, and how the meter seemed to have sped up as this all took place. Liz's stomach dropped. That sounds exactly like what I saw in the pyramid. Remember when we went to the Temple of Horus and I felt faint? The electricity in the air, the white beams hitting the walls, that's exactly what happened to me. 
Bill, of course, remembered their trip to Egypt. He also remembers Liz being a bit hungover the day they went on an excursion to the bird-headed god's temple, and how, he assumed, the heat had got to her. Bright lights often accompany dizzy spells, he'd thought. But Liz had been adamant that what happened in that tomb was supernatural. She'd tell her friends how she felt like she'd trespassed on sacred ground, how something had targeted her. Although the look on Liz's face right now made him feel uneasy, Bill tried to shut that thought down. Listen, Liz, I highly doubt an Egyptian god has popped over to steal our electricity, he joked. But Liz sat up in bed, fraught with concern. No, think about it. The animals, the footsteps, now this. Bill sat back up in bed. Listen, it's an old house. Creaky floorboards and a knackered electricity supply. That's all, love, don't worry. But Liz did worry. And she had every right. Damien loved his little sister Rebecca. Despite his feelings about how his original family dynamic had changed and his resentment for all parental figures involved. Rebecca was an innocent. In his eyes, this poor soul had just been flung into a dysfunctional family and, similar to him, hadn't asked for any of it. So Damien enjoyed afternoons like this, where they would both just play in his room. He liked losing himself in her imagination be that pretending to be pirates, prince and princesses, or dinosaurs. But this game was different. Rebecca had waddled over and grabbed his hand, holding her fingers to her lips and leading him to a seat on the floor facing the darkened corner of the room. A wooden chair, which had been here when they moved in, was wedged in that particular corner. "'What are we playing?' asked Damien but Rebecca shot him an angry glance from her cross-legged position. Again, she placed a finger to her lips and loudly shushed him, before turning and smiling again at the chair in the dark corner of the room. Outside, the wind was whipping against the single-pane windows. Clouds had rolled in over the mountains, making the dim room even darker than usual. Sorry... Rebecca sing song to the no one in the corner. Damien felt the hairs on his arms begin to stand on end. Sorry. Rebecca sang louder, as if someone had told her the first one wasn't enough. Damien tried to focus on the chair as the wind howled, and now smatterings of rain threw themselves at the window with force. The area around the chair appeared to become darker. Darker than the darkness around it. He could no longer see the seat of the chair, just the two sides of its back. As if someone was now sitting in the chair. Sorry, Rebecca repeated in the background. Damien shot a look at her. She now had her eyes closed and was rocking back and forth. He looked back to the ch- An old woman's face quickly leant out of the darkness, moving at a consistent speed right up to Damien's face. Ah! Damien screamed and fell backwards. 
What's going on up there? shouted Liz from downstairs. Damien looked back to the corner, but the old woman and the darkness had gone. Rebecca tugged his sleeve and then mumbled, You should have said sorry. Bill was worried, financially worried. His work had all but dried up in recent weeks. Commissions he'd verbally agreed were now calling to cancel on him, and the letter he was now reading didn't help. It was a letter from the electricity board. The engineer who had visited the property had filed his report, and... No fault was found to exist at Heolfenog Farm. It is my opinion the tenant is using the disputed energy and is therefore liable for the outstanding debt. Bill put his head in his hands. This guy had seen it with his own two eyes. Why had he lied? Probably didn't want to look a fool. Mind you, what did Bill expect the outcome to be? You don't have to pay because it's clearly supernatural. Not likely. But every debt, not just this one, needed to be paid. He could only do what he knew how to do. Work. Bill locked himself away in the studio, working on new pieces, updating the website, lowering the price of his current work that was for sale. Liz could see the toll that this was taking on him. She could see the pain of the creative sacrifices he was making as he tried to move away from the unconventional style, the one which had made him popular in the city, and tried to work on more carbon copy items, the live-love-laugh of its day. More worryingly, though, Bill had started to take an interest in the occult, and also the macabre. One evening, she brought him through some tea, and was shocked at what she found. Bill was known for his bright, exuberant use of colour, but the sketches that lay on the floor, and indeed the canvas he was working on now, were all black and grey, cutting harsh and deep-slashed charcoal lines across dour landscapes, contorted faces looking fearfully up to the sky, and Bill, hands black with paint, wide-eyed and smudging areas of the canvas with his palm. She placed down the cup of tea. Bill, she said gently. Bill continued to smudge away. Bill, what? He snapped back. I've brought you a cup of tea. Bill stopped and rubbed his hands over his face. Thanks, he said without turning around. Liz cleared her throat. This needs to stop. I won't be spoken to like that, she exclaimed, before turning round and heading back to the house. With the kids in bed and Bill out of his mind in the studio, Liz made a long drink and sat in the kitchen crying. She didn't know how things had gotten so bad so quick. This house, she thought, maybe this house is the reason. Damien had confided in her that he'd seen an old woman in the corner of the room. He said he knew she would believe him, whereas his dad wouldn't. And she did believe him, because she'd seen her too. Only once, 
but she'd seen her. She turned around to put some dishes in the sink and dropped one. As she stood with the scooped up fragments, there she was, looking through the small glass window of the front door, standing on the doorstep. Liz had froze. They stood staring at each other for what felt like an eternity before Liz stood on a missed shard, which jabbed her in the foot. She involuntarily glanced down and grabbed at her foot before looking back up, but in that second, she'd gone. Through Liz's tears now, something drew her attention to the living room window. The curtains were shut, and the lights were off in that side of the open-planned room. But through the darkness seemed to be... No. Yes. The outline of a man. A man with the head of a bird. Surely this must be a... The noise startled Liz and she looked to see a young man knocking on the back door. She glanced back at the curtain, but now just saw the lines and folds of the drawn curtains. Perhaps it was that way all along, she thought. She wiped her eyes and composed herself to answer the door. Then she paused and caught herself. Why would anyone be knocking here at this time of night? They had no neighbours for miles. They were as isolated as you could get. She looked at the man, and now she noticed he was holding a rag to his head, which was streaming with blood. He pointed behind him, where she could see headlights and smoke. The man started running back towards the car. Putting it all together, Liz realised there'd been an accident. That road could be treacherous at the best of times. Liz panically called 999 and gave the address of the crash before grabbing what first aid supplies she could find and running out of the back door. It was a fair way across the field to the lonely country road and the car must have now turned its lights out as she couldn't see its silhouette. Either way, she had a good idea of where it would be, the blind corner at the T-junction. Shortly, blue flashing lights lit up the road Oh, thank God, she panted as she made it to the wall adjacent to the T-junction. Mrs. Rich, said the police officer. Yes, yes I am, I called you, she said as the officer helped her over the wall. Um, there's no crash, ma'am. Liz brushed herself down and shot a look up and down the road. No, no, there was a man at my back door, she said, pointing back at the farm. And his car was down here. He was bleeding from the head. She put her hand on her own head, indicating where the rag had been held. The two officers looked at each other. I don't know what to say, Mrs. Rich. We've been up and down here, but there's no crash. No blood. The officer just shrugged. It's only a matter of time, though. There's been about four fatalities on this corner in the last five years, sadly. The police made sure Liz got home safe, and she thanked them and sent them on their way. She poured a large whiskey and done a quick Google search. The road name plus fatalities. She found a report from three and a half years ago and began to read. Steve Chapman, 45, 
fatally injured when his vehicle slid on black ice and slammed into a dry wall. She read on. He was married. Two kids. Such a waste, she thought. Then, she dropped her drink into her lap and threw the laptop to the side like it was electrified. There, on the screen, was the work photograph of the deceased Steve Chapman. The same man who had just been at her back door an hour before. This was it for Liz. She was leaving. Bill, slipping ever further into despair, refused to go with her. But enough was enough. She packed up the kids and headed to her mother's house. Determined to seek help, Liz made contact with then-celebrity medium Eddie Burks. A flamboyant, though sincere man, Eddie sat and listened to each account of terror that Liz and her family had endured. Eddie was deeply concerned that Bill had remained behind and demanded that they travel back with him to the farm to try and resolve this horror once and for all. And so, with Liz's mother looking after the children, Liz and Eddie returned to Heal Fanog Farm. Liz's hand shook as she put the key in the door. It just dawned on her there was a chance Bill had done something to himself. She hadn't thought. She'd been so keen to leave that... The door creaked open. She couldn't believe her eyes. The walls were covered in black daubings. Nonsensical words, symbols, drawings of stick men stood around large fires. And there, lying on the floor, was Bill. Alive, but wide-eyed, muttering over and over, The dead come at night. The dead come at night. Liz took Bill back to her mother's to recover. Eddie, however, said he wanted to stay around and find out exactly what they were facing. From his initial investigation and initial feelings, he said he'd never seen something this powerful before. Liz and an almost recovered Bill arrived back at Heolfanog Farm with Eddie a week later. Eddie stated he believed he'd not only discovered what they were dealing with, but how to defeat it also. Eddie prepared a microphone to record the entire affair. He shown them a large bonfire he'd built out of Bill's maniacal drawings and the occult books Bill had purchased. He explained, I believe this land is home to a deity so primal, so dark, so powerful, that the Celts conjured it up millennia ago. Beings like this are like attractors. They bring spirits to them. They sit so high up on the food chain and are so damn large that you can't see them. You don't see them. You kind of live within them. That's how you ended up like you did, Bill. Eddie lit the bonfire and asked them to join hands. He began reciting a chant to purify the land, the earth below and the sky above. As he did so, almost in defiance, books would fly out of the fire towards the faces of the attendees. But Eddie persisted with the ritual. A static charge built up around them. The white light first seen in Horus's temple and then again in the barn began swarming, 
flying around the fire like iridescent mosquitoes. Eddie's voice grew louder and louder until the final words of the ritual were said. With that, the lights all joined together and flew into the microphone set up to record the event. Sparks sent showering out the other end. As that happened, the static feeling fell. The heavy feeling that had built up dispersed and Eddie declared the ritual was successful. Although the proof of the recording was lost, the battle with the deity of the place, now known as Hellfire Farm, was over. Or so it's thought. I end this week's tale on the line, or so it's thought, as I genuinely believe that something allegedly that powerful can never truly be contained or destroyed. We don't know who the new owners of Hellfire Farm are. Either the activities stopped, or the family that live there now simply don't want their private life paraded around the press. For those wondering what happened to Rich and Liz, the house was too much for them and their relationship sadly didn't survive. They divorced not long after, and Bill sadly passed away shortly after that. Liz, however, has done quite a bit of media around this particular case. And one thing I didn't broach in my version of the events, that you may see if you research this case online, is some commentary around a belief that at one point Damien became possessed. Painting his room red and speaking to both Bill and Liz in a foul way. According to those versions, their belief that he was possessed led to them sending him away to boarding school. For me, though, that's the least believable part of this whole story. A teenager wanting to paint their room a particular colour and being rather off with their parents is just being a teenager. And if it's classed as a sign of possession, I know myself and a few other people who must have been possessed as a teenager. In addition, I'd like to think that if parents of any child believed their child was possessed, their first action wouldn't be to ship them away to school. However, I think that would be the action of parents who'd reached the end of their tether when dealing with a teenager in the height of their teenage angst. That's why I didn't include it in this version of events. Either way, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode where we've taken a look at Hellfire Farm. I'll be back next week for episode 6, and until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always leave your disbelief on the coat hook, and I'll see you next time on The Dark Paranormal. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. 
With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.